Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name unto heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Philippians, the second chapter, said, God has highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, of things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I'm thankful for that saving name of Jesus Christ. Oh, you get yourself in trouble. Sometimes you don't have nothing else you can say, just Jesus, and the situation changes. The circumstance doesn't stay the same. There's power in that name. Somebody say amen. It is so wonderful to be in the house of the Lord today. There's just no other place I'd rather be than in the house of the Lord. Sunday just doesn't feel the same if I can't get to church. I love to feel his presence, love to feel his goodness. There's just nobody like him. And it is so wonderful to see each and every one of you in the house of the Lord. So good to see so many smiling faces. And I appreciate all of you so very much. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open and read from the book of Revelation, the 10th chapter. And we're going to begin at the first verse. We're going to read down to verse number 6, Revelation chapter 10, and verse number 1. And as you're turning there, we do want to give honor to Pastor and Sister Boyd for allowing us to preach and stand to this pulpit and preach to you great people today. I love my family. So happy that my wife and son are with me today. Revelation chapter 10, verse number 1, tells us this. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open. He set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot on the earth, and cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. Here we're seeing what John is seeing, trying to get a depiction. John says this angel comes down from heaven, 
as one foot on the sea, another foot on the earth, begins to give a proclamation. At the very end, the angel says, time shall be no longer. And I want to preach to us today on this subject, the moment time runs out. The moment time runs out. Can we lift our hands? Let's pray together. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, your presence is already here. Your anointing is in this very room. It is undeniable that your spirit is moving in our midst. And I'm praying you would speak to every heart. God, you would save those that are in need of salvation. Encourage those that are discouraged and fill those that are empty. God, we give you all praise, give you all glory. And we love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Well, perhaps there is nothing that controls and dictates our lives like time. Time tells you when to get out of bed in the morning. Time tells you when you can leave a job. Time tells you when you can walk out of a classroom. Time controls nearly every area of our life. Even this morning, right now, time plays a factor in this sermon. You don't think so? Go a little extra long and the Baptist nods to start falling. Uh, you realize sometimes it could be a little too much time. Now think about it with me for a moment. Time tells you when to leave your vacation. Time tells you when you can retire. Time tells you when to go to the doctor. Time tells you what to do and how to live. That little four-letter word called time carries so much power. And each of us are allotted a certain amount of time in our lives. James said in the fourth chapter in the 14th verse, he said, What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time. You just have a little time. Seems like the older you get, the faster time goes. And if you're not careful, you can look back over your shoulder and say, Where has the time went? It just can, it can catch you unaware. It can slip through the cracks. And before you know it, time is already gone. It's all but over. And so it's up to us to take advantage of the moments that we have. And I remember when Sister Ash and I were dating, and I thought I was ready to ask her to be married. And so I went to her father, made sure I had permission from him, told him this plan that I had in my mind. One of our first dates, we went to an art museum. We saw a love statue. So I found out that the real love statue was in New York City. So in this plan, I told her father that I want to buy plane tickets. We'll fly to New York City in the morning. We'll go to the art museum, have dinner, and fly back that night. He said, well, I think that's a good idea as long as you get back in time. He said, you better not miss your flight and be stuck in New York City. So all the while, while I'm planning, there's a voice talking to me in the back of my mind. Come on, somebody. Future father-in-law saying, you better get back in time. And so 
bought the tickets, and I think I pulled off the surprise, and we landed in New York City. We was able to go to the statue and have dinner. Finally, I, all the while, I'm looking at my phone, checking the time, realizing we only got a few hours left before we need to get to the airport. So here we are standing, and I'm not really too accustomed to standing in Times Square in New York City trying to get somebody to give us a ride. So I, I waved down a taxi. And I'm sure that was a sight for sore eyes trying to see me wave down a taxi. Finally, pulls over, rolls down his window, says, well, where do you need to go? I said, well, we need to get to LaGuardia Airport. He said, not with me, you're not, and drove off. And I'm standing there thinking, is this normal? The taxi cabs just drive away from people? So I, I try to do it again. Wave over another taxi. And they pull over. This time... I thought, well, I'm going to open the door before I tell him where we're going. That way the door's already open. So I opened the back door. They said, well, where are you going? I said, we need to get to LaGuardia Airport. He said, no, I don't think I can do that. Drove off with me holding the handle of the door. And it's wide open. Now time's starting to pass by. You talk about anxious, I'm starting to feel a little anxious realizing what's waiting on us when we get back home. Finally, I'm starting to reach my wits end. Do I call over another taxi cab? What's going on? About that time, here comes a jet black Lincoln town car. Pulls up beside us with ten of windows. The window rolls down and the man says, you, you guys need a ride? I thought, well, we, we got to go to LaGuardia Airport. He said, that's no problem. I started, well, hang on a second here. Nobody else wants to take us, but you're a little too eager to take us. So I opened the back door and said, Ashley, get on in. She said, uh, yeah, right. I'm not getting in this car on your life. I said, well, it's okay. I'll get in first. So I got in, and she very slowly slid across the seat to where I was at and shut the door, and off we went. And I said, well, are you a taxi driver? He said, no. I said, do you normally pick people up? He said, no. And this is before Uber. You could call a car with your phone. And I'm thinking, this is not making a whole lot of sense. And I look over. Ashley's texting her mom. Mom, if I die, I want to give you my will real fast so you know. You want to talk about a ride? Brother, we went on a ride of your life. We were driving on the sidewalk. We were going the wrong way on the ramp to the interstate. We were praying and speaking in tongues in the back. But we got to the airport on time. Sometimes it's worth a bumpy ride if you can get there on time. Sometimes the same holds true in the spiritual. Things don't always go to plan. Sometimes there's some bumps in the road. Things don't always flow the way you think they should flow. But we got to take advantage of the moments that we have and have right now. Think about the day we're in. Nobody would have expected the day right now. Nobody would have figured that we'd be facing the obstacles that we are facing. But I can't let that sidetrack me. I can't let that mess with me because there's still a moment I've got to take advantage of. That's what matters so much. 
And when we flip through the pages of our Bible, we see a man named John who knew how to take advantage of moments with the Lord. He knew what Jesus was doing. John was one of the 12 disciples that Christ called. But theologians tell us that he was also part of that inner circle. The inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And whenever a momentous occasion would take place, needless to say that Peter, James, and John were always there. In Mark the ninth chapter, Jesus told his disciples, let's go up this high mountain. And as they began to climb, I almost have to wonder if they thought to themselves, why are all the disciples with us? Why is it just us three and Jesus? And why did he pick the highest mountain there was to climb? Sometimes the scripture illuminates to me not just the words, but it's the description of the words. Jesus could have said, let's go up this mountain. But instead, he said, let's go up this high mountain. Wondering, why are we, why are we taking this journey? But when they got to the top, Jesus was transfigured before them. And they got to eyewitness the glory of the Lord. That was John who was present. It was Mark, the fourth chapter, when they called Jesus to come and pray for this young girl. But when this young girl passed away, they sent word. Said, Jesus, don't even bother coming. It's not even worth your time. But Jesus said, no, this girl's not dead, but she's really just sleeping. And when Jesus said that, some could not believe it. They even went so far to laugh and to mock and to ridicule. The scripture says they actually laughed him to scorn. But notice who was in the room when Jesus prayed. It was Peter, James, and John. And when Jesus spoke that word, it said, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. When they walked out of that house with the girl that was dead, but now she was alive, it was John that was walking right beside him. Even in the garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus prayed, Jesus said, you know who I need? I need Peter, James, and John to be with me in this moment. And even when Jesus was betrayed and the disciples began to scatter and they placed a crown of thorns on Jesus' head and they announced that he was going to be crucified on Calvary. And when they led him up to the hill of Golgotha and when Jesus looked over the crowd, he looked and guess who he saw? John, who was right beside him. Jesus, who knew his time was coming to an end, knowing he was getting ready to die, he looks and he sees his mother weeping and crying. He sees his mother, who was so emotional, tore up because she knows I'm about to lose my son. And who does Jesus look at? He looks at John and he says, John, you take care of my mother. You don't just say that to anybody. When it's your mama, you want to make sure it's somebody who you trust, somebody who will really take care of her, someone who will make sure there's food on the table, clothes on her back, a home she has to live in. He says, John, I need you to care for my mother. And so we see John being dedicated 
we see him being diligent and devoted. One who completely and wholeheartedly gave himself to Jesus and to the ministry. But we find that very same John being banished to the island of Patmos. And it seems like those that really do a great work for God, they always face adversity. And any time you make up in your mind that you want to do something great in the kingdom of heaven, just get ready because you're going to face some obstacles come your way. But often when you want and desire to see the supernatural, really the time that the supernatural comes, it comes from times of suffering. When people want the power of God, usually they have to face persecution. Usually when somebody wants the miraculous to operate somewhere, they're going to have to face misery. They're going to face times where they wonder, God, why have you allowed this to happen? Why have you allowed this to transpire? Why have you allowed this to take place? John, who some consider to be the kindest disciple out of the twelve, finds himself alone and in isolation, wondering what's going to happen. How long am I going to be here? And as he is by himself, something begins to take place. He sees a vision right before his eyes. And almost have to wonder if he began to question, am I going crazy? Is my mind starting to play tricks on me? Because it seems like I see something before me. John is watching in Revelation, the first chapter and the 11th verse. The one that's standing before him says, I am Alpha and I am Omega and I am the beginning and I am the ending. Two verses later, John begins to describe who he sees. He said, I see the Son of Man. He's clothed with a golden girdle. His hair was white like wool. His eyes were like fire. His feet were like brass. His voice was the sound of many waters. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. When I saw that figure before me, the figure said, fear not. Verse 18, he said, I was dead, but behold, I am alive forevermore. Uh, he said, John, don't be worried. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. Don't be scared. Because I was dead, but death could not hold me. The grave could not contain me, John. It will not stop me. Then instructions came. John, I want you to write down for me. Verse 19 of Revelation 1. He said, I want you to write down the things that you've seen. Write down the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. Oh, in other words, he says, John, I want you to write down the past and I want you to write down the present. Then I want you to write down the future. John, I'm going to show you things that have already happened. Then I'm going to show you what's happening right now. Then I'm going to show you what's fixing to happen in the days to come. Huh? And so John, like a madman, starts writing. Now we could spend moments and hours and days, years, talking about what John wrote in the book of Revelation. But what I really want to focus our attention on is this 10th chapter when he begins to write. 
And he tells us that he looked up. I saw an angel. But it wasn't an ordinary angel. The Bible says it was a mighty angel. And this mighty angel came down from heaven. Notice the description. The angel had a rainbow upon his head. His face was like the sun shining. His feet were like pillars of fire. Sounds like the description we read in Revelation chapter 1. And this angel comes down. He had in his hand a little book that was open. He set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth and began to cry out with a loud voice. I find it strange what the angel does next. The angel begins to swear. And for so long, that always kind of bothered me because I remember what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 5, 34. He said, now swear not at all, neither by heaven and don't swear by earth, for you don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. Don't make promises that you cannot keep. Don't make swears that you cannot really bank on. But then it was the book of Hebrews, the 6th chapter and the 13th verse that cleared it up a little bit for me. The apostle wrote and said, When God made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. We're not supposed to swear, but God is swearing in Hebrews 6. And then he swears in Revelation 10. The reason why he can swear is because he is the giver of time. God is not swearing in the way that we think is profanity or cussing, but he swears as a promise. And brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, when God gives a promise... You can know assuredly that what he said, it will come to pass. Oh, uh, oh yes. His promises never fail. 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 says, For all the promises of God are in him, yea, and in him, amen. Numbers 23 and 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? When God begins to swear with a promise, you better forget anything else that's going on in your life because what he's getting ready to say, you better write down and remember. This angel begins to swear by him that lives forever, by the one that created the world and the things that are in the world, created the heaven and the things that are in heaven, that created the sea and the things that are in the sea, and said, this time shall be no longer. It's almost hard to really comprehend that because everything we do is centered around time. I remember as a kid, I, I would think if I could get to be 12 years old, then it was 16 years old, and then it was 18 years old, and 21 years old, then wish I could be 21 again. If I could just be 21 again, please. But time, everything, the way we think about graduations, it's about time. Anniversaries is about time. Birthdays about time. Retirement is about time. Vacations are about time. Everything we do is about time. 
But yet something is going to change and revolutionize everything we know because time is going to end. But when time ends, eternity is going to begin. And it's hard to wrap our minds around that principle that even though time will be no longer, eternity is going to last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And the moment that time runs out, wherever we're standing in that moment, that's where we're going to be in all of eternity. That's why I want to make sure that no matter what's going on in my life, I'm standing on the right side of eternity. Because I don't know when time's going to end, whether time ends for all or time just ends for me. I don't want to miss out on my chance. I don't want to miss out on my moment. I don't want to miss out on the time that's been given to me. Oh, hallelujah. Time has a way of sneaking up on you. Tapping you on the shoulder and saying, all right, it's over now. I remember, I'm not going to be too much longer, but uh, when I got saved, our church was in the inner city. I mentioned before, so we had a lot of violence and a lot of crime in our area, a lot of break-ins, and and so we would have visitors come to church. Uh, I can distinctly recall we had this couple come, real Nice couple, maybe middle-aged or younger. and They seemed like they really enjoyed the service. And Before they left, I shook their hands, told them how nice it was to see them in church, and they left. So I, I didn't think a lot about it. I was out in the foyer, and I see this couple come back in. And I look back at my pastor, and he saw the same thing. He starts walking to them. He says, hey, it's good to see you. Is everything Okay. They said, well, we got a little problem. He said, oh, what's the problem? They said, well, our car is gone. I said, what? They said, yeah, we parked it in that parking spot, but we came back out. Little did we know somebody stole their car during the service. And so because of that, we had to develop a security team. And the ushers were on double duty. And so they had to patrol the parking lot. You never knew what was going to happen. So I remember as one day in particular, I was standing there with some of the ushers and we were watching the people come into the parking lot. And I look over and I couldn't quite make it out. And as it got closer, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was a jet black Jaguar, 20 inch rims, poles into the parking lot. And if you want to get the attention of the ghetto, just pull up in a Jaguar and you got everybody's attention. More attention than what you probably need. So this man gets out of the driver's seat, dressed to the T, and walks in the church and shakes everybody's hand, and just instantly you like them. You know, there's some people, you just meet them for the first time, and you could tell, I just like them. He was just that kind of persona. You shook his hand, you talked with him, you just kind of fell in love with him right out the gate. And so he would reach into his pockets and he had these packs of gum and he'd hand it to all the kids in the church. And not sticks of gum, hello, packs of gum, he was handing them to all the kids in the church. Even the adults were standing in line hoping they might get a pack of gum, wanting to shake his hand two or three times. And so he would come into church and he was such a kind, generous man. 
the one thing that always stuck out to me is he'd always sit on the last row and we would be in service and the Holy Ghost would begin to move in the service like it's been moving here today. And you could feel the anointing as it permeated the atmosphere. And as the service would begin to draw to a close, you could feel that tug of God on the heartstrings of the people. And I would always look back and I would see him sitting on that last pew. And he would grab the bench in front of him. He was feeling the touch of God. He was feeling the call of the Lord. He was feeling the moving of the Spirit. But for some reason, he would never respond. He would even come back to church other times. Another time he came back, he pulled in in a silver Rolls Royce. When their car's worth more than their church, you know somebody's doing something right. But no matter what he drove, it was the one thing that always stuck out to me more than the car that he drove as he would sit on the back pew and he would feel it. You could sense it in the church. You could just tell it in the service. God was talking to this man. God was knocking on his heart's door. But no matter how powerful the preacher preached, no matter how masterful his illustrations were, he would never respond. To the call of God. And so my uncle befriended his son. And his son called my uncle and said, Hey, I need you to pray. My father has passed away. He was kind of a unique man. He said, I've got to go to his house and have to clean out his garage. And it's kind of overwhelming for me. And I'm just not sure that I could do it by myself. He says, is there any way that you could come and you could just help me? My uncle said, well, sure, I'll come over and help. So he came and he said, let's go through the garage first. So they walked in the garage and my uncle said, you've never seen anything like it. He said, I look over and there's Lamborghinis and Mercedes and Bentleys and BMW, just one right after another in this massive garage. So they're walking around looking at the cars. Everything was kept clean, pristine. So his son told my uncle, he said, why don't you just sit in the driver's seat of this Bentley, see what it feels like behind the wheel. So my uncle sat down and his son went over to the other side and sat in the passenger seat. He paused for a moment. He said, you know, Dad was such a good man. Did a lot of nice things for people. Had a lot. Did a lot. He said, started, started to weep and cry. He said, but the same thing that's in this car is the same thing that's in every car Dad owned. And he opened up the glove box. And in the glove box, there were packs and packs and packs of gum. His son grabbed one of those packs of gum. He said, you know something? When Dad died, he didn't even get to take one stick of gum with him. When his time ended, none of his vehicles went with him. None of his houses went with him. Not even a stick of gum with, went with him. 
And I'm going to tell you what matters more than the biggest house or the nicest car. What matters more than being just a good person. And I think we need to be good people. What matters more than being nice. And we need to be nice. What matters more than being generous. And we need to be generous. But when time finally comes to an end. What's going to really matter. And what's going to pay the extreme and ultimate dividends. Is if you are on the right side of salvation I want to make sure and I hate it that he never made that decision but oh I wonder today when God says time shall be no longer I want to make sure I've been baptized in his name I want to make sure I've been filled with his spirit Even if I've been saved, I want to make sure that I don't have skeletons hanging in my closet still. I want to make sure I don't have secret sins that I've been hiding in my life. I don't want any kind of bitterness in my heart. I don't want to be hanging on to any anger or any kind of bad spirit because I never know when that angel is going to lift his hand, raise his voice, and say, Time shall be no longer. Time comes to an end. Eternity's going to begin. Where are you going to be at when eternity begins? I wonder today as every head is bowed, every eye is closed with nobody looking around, Father, in the name of Jesus, we are thankful for your goodness, for your graciousness, for your gentleness to us. You're the God that never leaves and you never forsake. You're the one that walks with us in the hills and in the valleys. You never leave our side and you never depart, not for one moment. But God, I'm praying now that you would speak to us here today. Speak clearly. Speak directly. God, let us put aside everything else. Not worry about the pressures of this world. And put you first above anything and everything else. Oh God, more than the cares of this life, more than the families that we raise, more than the jobs that we work, the houses we live in, the vehicles we drive. God, before anything else, I want to make sure my soul is right with you. God, I can't lead my family if my soul's not right. I can't prepare for the future if my soul's not right. God, don't let anything, don't let anybody mess with me that I can't walk with you. Jesus, put it deep down in our hearts today. I'm going to serve you with all of my heart. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.